our, if we're going to fit in the theme, we continue our urgent care visits, our visits to the doctor, Luke, and in just a minute we're going to be in Luke 9. So if you want to open there, that's where we're going to be uh, this evening. But if you haven't been here over the last, during these couple of months in March, April, and May, uh, we are going to be walking through passages in Luke that are four verses or less. And it's literally an urgent care to the doctor, going, going and having a, a, a brief little passage that has a lot of message involved in it. Um, and so we're going to get to, to walk through a special one of those passages tonight. Uh, like I said, we're in Luke chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 46. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 46, it says this, an argument arose among them as to, which, uh, as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. Uh, this is a passage that is incredibly difficult, and I'm really very excited to hear uh, what these three gentlemen have to say and hear their thoughts uh, as we walk through this passage together. Guys, I, I want to begin uh, by, by getting into the shoes of those who Jesus was talking to, understanding that this was not just a passage that, that is written to some individuals that are somewhere off, not us but really getting into their shoes and understanding how we fit into this story. So I'll start out by asking this. Where do you guys see the church today falling into the who is the greatest trap? I, I see it in the arena of comparative thinking. We are very good at comparing ourselves to other Christians or unbelievers or whoever it might be because what we've taught ourselves is if I can compare myself to somebody I think is spiritually weak, then I'm going to feel better about my spiritual standing. We don't ever compare ourselves to people who are, who are giants in the faith. We're going, to, we're going to compare ourselves to Judas before we compare ourselves to Paul because we'll feel better about ourselves if we compare ourselves to Judas. And so we, we have this tendency to, to, I shouldn't say we, some of us have this tendency to fall into the comparative trap, and that's how you can make yourself feel like you're the greatest as opposed to the least. So think about Luke chapter 18, not to really take us out of our text, but there we have the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. They're at the temple praying, and the Pharisee goes in and has the most arrogant prayer of all time, doesn't even communicate anything about God or to God for that matter, other than the fact that he is the greatest there is. That's his, the whole point of his parable. Meanwhile, you have this tax collector over there who's humble before the Lord, and Jesus tells us that it's the tax collector who's just confessing his sin He's the one who goes away justified because what's happening is the tax collector is comparing himself to God and realizing, hey, I'm a sinner. The Pharisee is comparing himself to the tax collector and saying, oh, I'm a great Pharisee. So it's all about, I, I do think we fall into this who is the greatest trap when we get caught up in a comparative cycle, and the, but particularly when we're comparing ourselves to other people instead of to the standard bearer, who, who the, the one we're supposed to be perfect as. Because that's what the end of the Sermon on the Mount talks about, or not the end, but the end of chapter 6 talks about in Matthew 6. So we fall in that trap when we compare ourselves to other people rather than God. Yeah, I just want to follow up with that. I totally agree with what you're saying, Kyle. And I think we do struggle as a church 
um, as, as a brotherhood when we think about comparing or, or comparative uh, or comparis, comparing, comparison, all those words. Are there any uh, other comparison words no. you can come up with? I would like to use no other words with the word comparison. But uh, I think we do struggle with it. I think it's obvious. E- even, even when we're talking, uh, I think we struggle with this because I think it's easy for us to think about certain congregations as the quote-unquote greatest in the brotherhood or, or certain preachers as the quote-unquote greatest in the brotherhood and sometimes that can be a fun exercise, you know, among preachers to think about who's the greatest preacher, you know, but other times it, it can get a lot, it can get very toxic when we start to think about who is the greatest. It's literally what the disciples were doing here, and I think we struggle with it just as much as they did. I think we have this idea of there being marquee congregations, right, throughout their brotherhood. And we talk about these congregations, and like you said, we kind of use them as our measuring stick sometimes. Instead of the Word of God or instead of uh, uh, Jesus, we look to them and say, well, if they're doing it, then that means we need to do it too. They have had success in this, or they have made a name of themselves doing this, and so we need to do this also. And instead of measuring up to Christ, we use them as the measuring stick. We want to look like they do instead of look like he does. And I think we fall into that trap a lot, and it's no different with preachers. Uh, we, we think about certain preachers that are uh, the greatest preachers and think about all the lectureships they've gone to and all the uh, uh, places that they've done and all the things that they've done. And the question I go back to is, when was the last time we sat around talking about what God thought was great. You know, we have ideas of of what great means, what greatness is. And we look at these congregations and say, whoever has the greatest preacher, that is great. Whoever has the greatest attendance, that is great. But I wonder if God has the same definition of great. I wonder if God sees the little old country church that sings the same five church songs every Sunday no one ever comes in and out uh, without understanding this is, you know, an older congregation right off the bat. I wonder if God looks at that congregation and sees the fact that not a single guest that came in left without feeling like they were part of the family. And God looks at that congregation, even though they're not packed to the gills or they're not having any building expansion anytime soon, but the fact that every single person that came in that building today felt loved. I wonder if God sees that as what it means to be great. I wonder if God sees the preacher of that congregation who's working two or three jobs and does his dead-level best every single week, week in and week out, to come in every single week and make sure that that outpost of the kingdom doesn't go under. I wonder if God looks at that preacher and says, that is greatness. Uh, last thing I'll say about this, I was at uh, Freed Harmon Lectures this year, and uh, Bill Watkins from Creep Hall uh, Church of Christ, the preacher there, was here a few years ago. He was doing a lesson about, I don't know if it was this passage specifically, but he was doing a lesson about uh, what it means to be great and, and what, it, what it means to be great in the sight of God. And he, 
he said this, and it, it really made an impact on me, I think, and I hope it'll make an impact on you. He said, if you are trying to climb a popularity ladder in the Lord's church, when you get to the top of that ladder, you're going to realize you were up against the wrong building because there is no popularity ladder in the Lord's church. Man, I heard that, and it just whew, hit me right in the gut because there is a temptation to think about who is the greatest and to rise up that ladder when at the end of that pursuit you're going to realize you were climbing the wrong ladder to begin with. Um, I agree that, but I would like to look at the uh, context uh, to answer the question. And verse 47, Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. So here the word, the reasoning, gives us an idea what would the disciples uh, was, were thinking. Uh, I think uh, verse 40, I mean, verse 44, Luke chapter 9, verse 44, Jesus revealed the secret. Let these words sink into your, heart, uh, your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. He is revealing what would happen to him, and he will sacrifice himself for the, uh, you know, for the uh, plan of salvation. And verse 45 says, but they did not understand this saying. And it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. So they didn't understand it. The disciples didn't understand it, what Jesus was saying. And they, didn't, they even didn't you know, uh, ask what it meant because they were afraid. In other words, the disciples were still in worldly mindset. They were thinking the kingdom that Jesus is saying to establish was earthly one. They were misunderstanding Jesus' plan, I mean, God's plan, and they, they didn't understand what Jesus would do, what Jesus would accomplish. So they were worldly-minded in understanding Jesus' words. So they couldn't understand, never, they could never understand what Jesus was going to do, what Jesus was teaching them. They didn't fully understand that. So their reasoning was worldly. Their reasoning was according to the uh, worldly values, worldly method, worldly ideas. And they were debating among themselves who would be the greatest. In other words, who would be the prime minister if Jesus would be the king? Who would be the second I mean, vice president of the, of the kingdom, things like that. So, you know, they, the disciples, failed to understand uh, Jesus, what Jesus would do and what Jesus would accomplish. And they were thinking who would be the greatest in the kingdom, earthly kingdom, uh, that they thought Jesus would establish. So if we fail to grasp the will of God. Even nowadays, 
we will fall into the same mistake. If we are worldly-minded, if we are if we value the worldly things. In other words, if we love the world and the things in the world, we will compare each other and we will you know, debate among us that yeah, I'm the greatest or I'm the least. Oh, I'm sorry that I'm the least in this group. So the point that Jesus is trying to make or the scripture that, uh, I mean, the point that the scripture is trying to make is that, you know, we have to understand that the, the, Jesus is not building or establishing the earthly kingdom. His kingdom is spiritual kingdom, and we are, we are in the spiritual kingdom. So, you know, if we don't, I mean, First uh, John chapter, 12, uh, chapter 2, verse 15 says, if you love the world, you, you will not have the love of God. So, because we love, the, we, we love the world or things in the world, we don't have the room in our hearts for love of God. If we lose our love of God, in other words, if we love the world or things in the world, we compare ourselves with others, even our brothers and sisters. And we want to make an order, worldly order among us. And, and, oh, I'm so proud that I am the first. Or, oh, I'm so frustrated because I'm the least. So the first thing we have to see is our reasoning. What, what kind of reasoning do we do, do we have in our hearts? Uh, really, really wonderful observations there on where we might fall into the who is the greatest trap. I want to make it personal for us. Um, and, and I hope as, as we ask this question, like everyone in the room can process this as well, make it personal for themselves. Uh, but as ministers and co-workers, where do you personally struggle? And it, this is kind of asking for a confession. Um, but, but where do you personally struggle with thinking that you're the greatest? All right. Ben, I know this is your first time doing the roundtable. You're not supposed to ask us confessional questions. <laughs> no, but I will say this. Uh, so I, as I pondered this in preparation, I, I don't necessarily think I struggle so much with thinking I'm the greatest because I've never been the greatest at anything, and God is very good at humbling me. Um, but I do struggle with being critical, and I think there's a correlation. So, for instance... I, in, in, in my role as a minister, there are certain assignments, tasks, responsibilities I have, and it's very easy for me to be critical of others when they're doing those exact same things. So I can listen to a sermon and be like, well, I would have said it that way, or I would have brought up this passage, or I would have made this illustration. Or I can listen to a Bible class, do, do the similar thing. It's very easy for me to cross into that critical realm where it's not so much that I think I'm better than the other person, but, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm not being gracious, and I'm not... I'm not stepping outside of, of my, my own personality for a moment and just being a, a casual observer or listener sometimes. And so there, there is a battle within to get into the comparative mindset in the realm of I would have done it this way or I would have done it that way. And then you're, then you're missing the whole point. 
of the message. You're missing the whole point of, of the teaching or, 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 or whatever it is. So where, well, well, I don't ever sit around and go, oh, yeah, I'm better than these guys at this uh, because I don't think that at all. It's one reason why I'm, I've never been one who's uh, been uh, protective of the pulpit that I can be the only one up there, you know, because uh, there, are, there are ways in which all these guys are better preachers than me and maybe occasionally ways in which I'm a better preacher than them. But where I fell is when I start making those criticisms of here's how I would do it as opposed to the way they did it, which is just as an appropriate way or just as an appropriate strategy. And, and not that I'm doing it to these guys all the time. It's, it can be anyone, anywhere. So you, you would never know, though. <laughs> but no, that's, that's where our struggle is. It's still the same realm of pride. I think it's important for every one of you to understand that we struggle with these issues just like you do. And I don't think I realized that growing up. I thought the preachers in my life just floated on air and never got dirty. But we struggle just as much as you guys. And when we look at this passage, I think maybe even more so than you tonight, we feel this passage. And it, 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 it makes us think and self-evaluate maybe even more than it does you because like the disciples, we are constantly in ministry. And we're constantly uh, studying the Word and we're constantly doing our best to, to minister to uh, the kingdom. And so anyway, I just wanted to say that it's very important for every one of you guys to know that, that we struggle just as much, perhaps even more so, uh, than each of you here tonight. But... When it comes to this struggle, I can tell you, any time that I have felt myself to be the greatest, it doesn't take long at all for God to send one of you people <laughs> to me to humble me. And I love it when God chooses me. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and a lot of times it's Kyle. <laughs> Emphasis on the least in the text here. Um, but no, seriously, and by the way, that was a joke and not an invitation <laughs> for, for all of you to humble me in the future. Uh, but seriously, I, I, I do believe that this is, this is important for us to realize that when you exalt yourself to that level, God's going to cut you down. And I have learned that and I have seen that time and time again in uh, my minister friends and, and my, own, my own self, my own life, that if you don't humble yourself, God will humble you. And so, seriously, pride, especially in a ministry team, and, and that's something we're, we're really trying to grow as a congregation here over the past few years, is, is becoming a team. And, and we talk about uh, the team that, that we're trying to be uh, when, whenever we're together and, and we're talking about the future of the church here is, is the team aspect. When it comes to a ministry team, there is just absolutely no place for pride. And Kyle, you were talking about it. Ultimately, it comes from a sense of pride. And ultimately, it comes from a lack of realization that every single one of us provide a different thing for the kingdom at Buford. Each one of us provide a different set of talents and a different set of abilities that maybe the others don't have. And whenever pride takes precedence in kingdom work, 
it ceases to be that. It ceases to be kingdom work. When, when, when pride sets in, it's no longer about the kingdom, it's about Ben. Hogan, Ben McGreevy would never do this. But when it, whenever pride takes precedence, it's no, it's no longer about the Lord, it's about me. And we know that God isn't going to bless the work if it's about me. God's only going to bless it, truly bless it, if it's about him. And if you'll allow me, Romans chapter 12 to me is is a key passage for this discussion. Romans chapter 12, perhaps the whole chapter is, is one of my absolute favorites in the Bible. But verses 3 through 8, Paul says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. I'll just quickly say, when I look at this passage, it's very evident that it's not about the function or the role in the body that I have. It's about the fact that every single one of us have a different function. And without your function, the body would be incomplete. And so that's when we look at ourselves, we have to understand, it don't matter how great or how many works I do or, or, or what I'm able to do for the kingdom, without each of you and without each of you, the kingdom would be incomplete. And that's why you have to zoom out and look at yourself and say, man, I don't really need to think more highly of myself than I ought to think. Because if you do, it won't be long before someone comes or God reminds you just how, how little you really are. Uh, do I have time to? Okay. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. I love Mingy. <laughs> okay. The first joke here. <laughs> uh, you know, let me confess this. My struggle is a little bit different. I'm sorry to say this, but, you know, it's, it's real. Sometimes I, I, I think to myself that why am I the least among us? You know, I'm serving Koreans and, um, you know, small number of people here and, and small people, I mean, small number of people in the society, uh, which also is a minor group in this society. So I feel like, you know, oh, have I studied all through, you know, 10 and a half years to do this work? Sometimes, you know, I arrogantly think like this and, um, but I think it is the same thing. It's the same thing. Am I the greatest? It's the same thing with that. Because the, the subject is I. And also the comparison that you know, Kyle mentioned is worldly. It's according to the worldly value or worldly you know, standard. So it's wrong. It's as wrong as 
the question, am I the great greatest? But, there, uh, but when I think, when I struggle with that kind of you know, mindset, it frustrates me and disappoints me and sometimes it depresses me. But um, maybe a little bit different, uh, differently from the other question, am I the greatest? Uh, to me, when I ask to myself, why am I the least among us? Only my brothers and sisters helped me to get out of that. I saw so many humble brothers and sisters who are working so diligently among us without being known, without being exposed, without being praised, even without, without being named by anybody. And I see, when I see them, yeah, you know, I want to be the least. I mean, it's okay to be the least. Nobody may recognize me as a minister, it's okay. Nobody may, uh, you know, call me a minister, it's okay. I am working for the Lord, that's it, that's enough. And, and Apostle Paul may have that, I mean, may have understood that idea of some people in the church and uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, from verse 14, he says that, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, like me, like I'm saying, why am I the least? You know, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And uh, Paul later in verse, uh, from verse tw 27 says, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all cars, are all bands, are all band decrees? I am Mingu Cheng. And he says, do all possesses gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? I do. You know? <laughs> but earnestly <laughs> desire the higher gifts. And he's, he talks about love. Because we have love. Because we serve God with love. Because we, we serve everybody because we love God. That's it. And, and, you know, I can quench my stupid question, and why am I the least? By seeing my so many brothers and sisters who are so humble, so, uh, who are so diligent in working, regardless of whether they are known or regardless of they are noticed, by anyone, they, you know, they do their work, and you know that helps me to get out of that kind of struggle. Uh, I, I'm not supposed to do what I'm about to do, but I'm gonna I'm gonna hop in on this one as well, and just kind of share where I struggle with this as well. Um, I think as a minister, sometimes it's really difficult, and maybe you guys can agree, to 
as a minister, think, this is what I do. This is, this is who I am. I, I serve in the kingdom. And think of like myself as, as greater than maybe the, the people I'm serving. Um, I'm, I, I, I struggle. Uh, you know, I, 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 there are nine teenagers sitting over there tonight. Seven of them have been on their phones this entire time. And I struggle with this because in my mind, I think I'm greater than them. Because I don't sit on my phone during worship. Uh, but I can tell you, I've, I've sat in many worship service and thought about the next golf shot. Or when I was in high school and playing high school hockey, thinking about how I could score that goal in the game. Um, which I never did. Uh, but to sit there and have that mindset of, oh, I'm, I'm greater than these individuals is so easy. Because, like you talked about earlier, it's easy to compare myself. Um, and, and so I know that, that for a minister, from a minister standpoint, that, that's a hard thing uh, for, for us. And maybe you can relate to that with people at work. Um, maybe you're the boss of people at work or, or maybe a teacher or whatever it is. But maybe that's something you struggle with as well. It's just sitting there and saying, hey, I'm so much greater than these people because I, maybe I'm a little bit more of an expert in the field than they are. Um, I, I want to continue on and, and ask this question because this, this passage is beautiful. Jesus, we haven't, we haven't really gotten into this a lot, but Jesus responds and, and he, he's going to say, uh, but Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me and whoever receives me, uh, receives me, receives him who sent me for he who is least among you all is the one who is great. Jesus had every right to say, I am the greatest. What does his response to this discussion of the apostles having this discussion, his response to this choosing a child, tell us about the character of Jesus? Um, let's start with Mingo on this one, if that's all right. Okay. Um, I think this is the perfect uh, scripture that tells us uh, Jesus' character as the servant leader. Uh, I'd like to read uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Is I mean, this is the greatest passage that tells us what Jesus think of himself. And uh, chapter, Matthew chapter 20, verse um, 28 says, I mean, let me read from 26. It shall not be so among you. Oh, okay, let me read from verse 25. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones ex exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think this is who Jesus is. And this is the Savior we, uh, we worship and we want to follow and, and we want to serve and we want to do uh, his will. So I think... This passage, today's passage, also uh, reveals us this Jesus attitude. Then, if you're going to pass Kyle, I would love to hear your thoughts added on to this. So, when I, when I thought about the fact that Jesus is the only one that 
could declare he is the greatest, maybe go to Philippians chapter 2, um, to that beautiful uh, passage that's there, starting in verse 5. And there it's described, uh, Jesus is described this way. If I can get there myself. We're instructed to have the same mind as Jesus. And verse 6 goes on to say, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus had the greatest position, for lack of a better term. He's in heaven with God the Father, and he deliberately chooses to empty himself and become like us. He deliberately chooses to set aside some of his divine prerogatives in order to experience life like the least. That that willingness to, to set aside his position and his some of his divine qualities so, to take on human form, that act of humility was a deliberate choice on his part. And then he, in the midst of his uh, disciples, grabs a child who we look, we, and we look at this passage a lot with Western eyes, with 21st century eyes, but for them, a child wasn't, a, wasn't viewed in the, the sweet, innocent way that we view them as much. Not that they weren't innocent, but they were viewed as insignificant. They're a blessing to the family to have children, but really not until they can start working with you and start helping you around the house. That's what, but a little child was just the lowest on the totem pole, oftentimes the one that would be the foot washer in the house. And Jesus deliberately grabs the one who is of least value and says, this is the greatest. Jesus modeled it first and then said, hey, here's, here's what greatness really is. It's, it's about being willing to set aside being great in order to be a servant to others, as Mingu was referencing a moment ago. And so uh, it, it's powerful when you consider what Jesus gave up to be like you and I, uh, and then to, for him to say, all right, and here's your challenge. Now you be like one of these guys. You be like Mason and Reed over there. You be like Henry and, and Liam, and I can't, I'm trying to look over there, but I'm, I'm running out of names now. So anyway, be like one of these kids, the ones that run into you out in the hallway, the, the, the ones that forget to say ma'am and sir and excuse me and please. The ones that the parents are chasing and trying to control. The ones that are misbehaving at the restaurant. You'd be like one of them. Now granted, I'm not advocating for us to be rambunctious or anything. I'm just saying Jesus chose the least significant and says, you be that. Because he did that. We're going to combine the final two questions uh, to, because we're, we're running low on time. So with these answers, like a few minutes max. Uh, we have, what does this call to uh, be like a child look like in the life of a Christian? But I want us to, to focus on this one. How should the irony of Jesus reflect into the lives of the 21st century Christian? 
I look at that question about being a child and how does that look like because just like Kyle said, you know, you don't want to be childish, but you want to be childlike. And so what, what is Jesus, what, what, what is he saying with that? I think some of us have, have really battled with this, and even as a kid I would battle with this, like what, 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 what do you mean? But now that I have a kid, I think I understand at least three things that you can learn from a kid that we need to emulate as children of God ourselves. And first of all is that, and it depends on the kid, um, but a child, a child loves with no strings attached, really. I, I've, I've noticed with, with Jency, Harper loves, Harper loves her. No strings attached, just because she's mom. She's mama, and that's all that matters. Or I'm, I'm, I'm daddy, and that's all that matters to Harper. He's going to love us because we're his parents. There's no strings attached. Now they get a little bit older, maybe that changes, but uh, don't tell me. I, I want to just be blind to this, please. <laughs> Secondly, I, I think children trust their parents. They have a trust in their parent that their parent is going to know what's good. And again, that, that'll change, I guess. But a child, we're talking about a little child. Matthew, edition of, of this story, talks about a little child, so... A little child is going to trust their, their, their parents to provide for them, to give them a meal, to take care of their needs, to change their diaper, to do whatever it takes. They're, they're, they're going to trust. Their, and then thirdly, a child is going to need their parents. And so when I, I think about how this reflects to our life, I think we need to love Jesus with no strings attached. It's not about the mansion robe and a crown. It's about getting to dwell with God forever. And then secondly, I think we need to trust Jesus in everything. That Jesus is going to take care of us regardless of what comes. And then third, I think we never need to outgrow the need that we have for Jesus. I wrote about an article this week about Christians. The saddest thing in the world is a Christian who no longer needs Christ. I think when we outgrow the need for Christ, we've forgotten what it means to be a Christian in the first place. And then just very quickly, what if we spent the rest of our lives, instead of trying to prove ourselves to be the greatest, what if we spent the rest of our lives trying to lower ourselves and make others around us the great ones? What if we, instead of, of trying to be seen in the light of being the greatest, we try to be seen as the least? Instead of exalting ourselves and stoking our ego, we lowered ourselves and praised the one around us? What if instead of trying to convince others that we have arrived, what if we spent our lives trying to show others how much more we need the grace of God in our life. That's what it means in the 21st century to me, is this, this text should tell us, should show us, it should compel us to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. Back. Two, two minutes, if, if you can. <laughs> okay. Um, 
the um, kind of uh, parallel verse in John uh, is chapter 13, verse 20. It says that, um, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So uh, instead of child, Jesus using the one I send. So I think the one I send, I mean, Jesus messenger, Jesus ambassador, should be like a child. And we can, we can find the qualification of the child, the one who, whom Jesus sent from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, ambassador of Christ, chapter 6, verse 3. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, uh, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true and unknown and yet well-known as dying and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. I think this is the quality that a child has and we have to have. The other thing I think of uh, about a child that should correlate for us is, is the idea of obedience. This has more to do with our expectation of children than, <laughs> than children themselves. But we, ex we don't expect children to be able to make decisions for themselves, like big life-altering decisions for themselves. We, we might let them choose where they go to dinner for their birthday, something like that. But we don't let them choose you know, how we're going to spend our retirement. We don't let them choose uh, what career we're going to have. We don't let them choose um, what house we're going to live in, that sort of thing. And so there, there is a sense in which, when it comes to children, there's limitations on their choices and their decisions. But for some reason, and I think it has a lot to do with culture, when we become adults, those limitations are gone. We can make whatever decision we want. But the truth is, if you're a child of God, you never stop being a child. And he still expects some, that level of obedience, that you're going to abide by the parameters he set, and, and you're going to uh, obey the uh, restrictions he has and follow the rules that he's put in place. And I think about that parable in Matthew chapter 21. It's usually called the parable of the two sons, and you got these two sons who are asked by their father to go do a job, and the first son says, no, I'm not going, then changes his mind later. The second son says, yeah, I'll do it, and then never goes. And it's a parable about obedience. And so I want to encourage us in this, uh, in, 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 in here in the 21st century, as we reflect back on this parable, 
or on Jesus's words, I should say, that we need to understand that we never stop being children and that there's still an expectation of obedience and we don't need to project our cultural understanding of adulthood onto our Christianity. So. Absolutely. Um, thank you guys for, for the comments. Um, I, I hope that, that this study was beneficial um, and I hope that we can walk away uh, from this discussion being a little bit more childish. Um, we're not going to have an invitation song tonight, but we do want to make it known that the invitation is always open. Uh, never, we hope that you never put off repentance or, or becoming a Christian um, just because we're, we're not going to have a song this evening. But if there's anything that we can do for you, please grab an elder or a minister or anyone who, who can help you, um, and we would love to assist with that. Uh, we're going to close with prayer this evening, and then you'll be dismissed. Father, you are an awesome God, and we are so thankful you have adopted us as your children. We are so thankful that we get to serve you, that we get to love you, that we get to be your children. Father, we ask that you please allow us to be, uh, allow us to be innocent, clean from the world, people who do not seek to be great, but seek to be the least Seek to elevate those around us, and please help us to be individuals who seek to, to have your name be what is great about us. We are so thankful for who you are. We are so thankful for the forgiveness you offer us because we know that we do struggle with, uh, with the desire to be great. Father, we love you and are thankful for Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.